You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with a massive sales expert, Andy Paul. Andy's hit Accelerate Your Sales podcast was acquired by Ring DNA back in 2020. And then since renamed Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, the show continues to inspire thousands of sales professionals every single week. He's also written two award-winning sales books in the past, Zero Time Selling and Amp Up Your Sales. And here we're today to talk about his new book, Sell Without Selling Out. He's ranked number eight on LinkedIn's list of top 50 global sales experts, and he's consulted with some of the biggest businesses in the world, including Square, Philips, Grubhub, and more, making him one of the leading voices in the sales industry today. Andy, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Travis. Yes, sir. Of course. So I want to, first off, talk a little bit about the book. want to make sure we always get that out of the way early on so everybody (laughs) hears it, okay? Okay. Uh, Sell without selling out. The one question I like to ask authors the most is why now? Why write the book now? You've obviously had the knowledge for a long time. What makes it urgent in 2022? What made it urgent is that we're just not getting any better at selling. So mm-hmm. especially in B2B selling. So yeah, this book was yeah part of an effort to say, look, what do we have to do to become better, to really make a change in the way we're selling and help our buyers achieve what they're trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with sell without selling out, obviously the title implies that most people are not doing that. So what are a couple of mistakes that you're seeing in B2B sales specifically? Oh, some of them are very classic mistakes, right? So selling out definition that I provide in the book is, you know, it's when you put your own interests ahead of those of the buyer. And that's, that's a pretty common, common scenario with salespeople, right? They show up and the first thing they do is before they really try to learn and understand what's really most important to the buyer, they pitch their product. Yep. Well, hey, that's putting your own interest ahead of the buyer's. Yeah, so if you think that your mission as a salesperson is to persuade a buyer to buy your product, by definition, you're selling out, right? Because mm-hmm. that's not your job. And I talk about this in the book. And when you have that as your sort of mindset, that's your job, then you're going to default into this range of what I call salesy behaviors that the buyers instinctively resist. And we've all experienced those in our own personal lives, whether buying a car or some other service. We've encountered somebody who's, who's uh, you know, leaning into just being persuasive and trying to convince us to buy something that without really knowing whether it's a fit for us or even really caring whether right. it's a fit for us. Yeah, trying to force something you don't even want down your throat. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, this is the way we socialize and train too many sellers to believe that that's what their job is. So as I describe in the book, your job as a salesperson is not to persuade somebody to buy your product. It's to listen to the buyer, understand the things that are most important to them, both in terms of the challenges they face and the outcomes they want to achieve, and then help them get that. Mm, So we listen to understand, we help them achieve what they're trying to achieve. It's a very different mindset. And so that's what I call selling in. 
So I contrast between selling out, selling in. And in the book, I describe the four basic pillars of how you sell in, which is based on these innate human behaviors that we all possess, which is connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. Who's wrong, Andy? Why? Well, I mean, there's so many salespeople out there that, that don't <laughs> understand this concept. And I think that it's largely due to a movement of sales trainers who have convinced salespeople that they have to be the persuader, that they have to be this hardcore version of the you know most stereotypical used car salesman you can think of in order to be successful. And it's just flat out wrong. It's not true. So who who's out there teaching all the wrong stuff? Yeah, people that are teaching that. But yeah. I think it's not just the fault of, of sales trainers. I think that that you know, a story I'd, I think is a really interesting story. And think about it. It's just sort of some of the salesy, this idea that you have to be salesy, super salesy, just sort of out there in sort of the, the ether. And people sort of pick it up. I had a conversation with a woman on my show who was head of the sales program, the undergraduate sales program at Kansas State University named Dawn Dieter Schmelz. She was one of the, really the forefront of this program or movement to create undergraduate degrees for, for sales. And she talked about how in her introduction to professional selling, she's teaching freshmen, their first class in sales. They come into the school. They have no background in sales, no exposure to sales. She does role plays. And these people know nothing about sales. They default to being super salesy. Mm. <laughs> and, and she and I were just sort of laughing about that because it's like, all right, part of it's just sort of out there, right? Maybe it's popular mm. culture or, or whatever, as people sort of think, oh, this is the way you have to be. And so that's another you know, leg of the the stool of bad behavior. And I found, I think the third leg is managers yeah. is to a point you've made before. And I talk about this in the book is, is, you know, I'll talk to sales leaders and they about this contrast between selling out and selling in and say, Oh yeah, absolutely. You're so right on. That's exactly what we need, but we've got a number to hit. Mm. And I'm saying, so what you're telling me is in order to hit your number, you think you have to be super salesy. <laughs> and they're like, right. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it's just, that's the absolute opposite of what you need to be. So it, the influence has come from multiple sources. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people have this desire to, you know, learn from people who are doing better than them, but they don't go, I think sometimes they don't go high enough, Me meaning that the people that are kind of mid-tier salespeople that are doing better than lower-tier salespeople that are, are tending to sell like this are giving out advice to people who are, are the lower-tier and those people are abiding by that advice, even though it will only ever get them to be a mediocre salesperson and not an excellent salesperson. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the idea that those people have a innate desire for short-term gain at the expense of long-term gain. And so they feel like they almost have to be so persuasive that you can't let them off the phone until they buy that always leads to poor customer experiences and chargebacks and, and defaults on accounts. And it's like, you meet the most successful salespeople, the ones that are doing a half a million dollars a year in commissions or you know, at least a quarter mm -hmm. million plus. Those are the people that have been doing it for five years. And it's because they have so many happy customers that they set proper expectations with. They solved a problem. They took care of a unique need and they did it effectively over a long period of time. And now they get additional referral business and they have relationships with the customers that they've, that they've sold. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like a me versus you. And if I get what I want, you don't get what you want. It's a, well, we that's all a key win point. together. That's a key point is, is unfortunately when you take this approach that your job is to persuade somebody to buy your product, you're making it sort of a zero sum game, yeah. right? 
I get what I want really at the sake of you. And mm-hmm. yeah, at the bottom line is, is more than ever in the mind of the buyer, it's their decision is based on their experience with the seller, right? So, you know, take almost any category of products out there. If there were 10 products in the category five years ago, there's 30 today, right? Especially like in software and a lot of the tech space. And so the ability of the customer to differentiate between the products, it's pretty difficult because they are largely the same. Sure. So in that case, what is the differentiation between vendors? Mm-hmm. It's their experience with their sellers. Yeah. That, yeah. that ultimately becomes the tiebreaker. So your job as a salesperson is to be very intentional about creating a buying experience that differentiates you and the products you represent, the company you represent from your competitors. What are common characteristics of a salesperson that's selling in versus characteristics of a salesperson that's selling out? Well, as I said, it's based on these four pillars of uh, selling in, like call it's connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. Yeah, we are the salesy behaviors that we've been talking about before. Those are all learned behaviors, right? That's not, we don't, we aren't born (laughs) when trying to do that. Whereas we are wired as humans to want to connect with other people, Mm. to be able to build trust with people. We are wired to be curious. I mean, our curiosity is how we navigate, you know, the ambiguity of the world we all reside in, right? Every time we encounter something new, we use our curiosity to to work our way through that. We're wired to want to understand. That's where our empathy comes from, is our understanding. We're wired to give. We're wired to be generous because that makes us feel good. That's, you know, the reward system to it. So when we lean into these innate human behaviors, which are strengths that we all possess, but need to develop to some greater degree, we then put ourselves in a position to help the buyer, I said, achieve those things that are most important to them. And that's, that's what our ultimate goal is. Mm-hmm. And what I lay out in the book is the path you can do that in a way that actually enables your buyer to make their, their decisions in a yeah, shorter period of time. Do you often or ever receive feedback from people who might disagree with you who are pushing back against like, you know, generosity and some of these other key components or key pillars of the process based on based on the idea that if you lean too heavily into some of these things, you might end up being in this race to the bottom and you might be compelled to discount pricing. And instead of building value in the product and selling it a rate that's profitable for the company and, and does everybody good. Like my overarching question is how do you approach the value conversation when it comes to leaning into these these core, you know, characteristics? Well, on several fronts. One is is, you know, selling is about being intentional, right? You're being intentional about creating this experience. You're being intentional about connecting, building trust. You're being intentional about how you give, right? Is is you can be what I call an unrestrained giver, which is what you sort of described as someone, you see this in sellers all the time, a little insecure about their knowledge and their ability to help the buyer. I'm just going to keep throwing crap on the wall and hopefully something sticks, right? But you, one of the ways you build trust with someone is you're completely clear about what your motivations are. And it's okay to be a giver and be generous with an agenda, which is, look, I'm only going to succeed to the extent that I help you succeed. Right. And when you're clear about your motivations with the buyer, they're fine with that. They understand that trade off. When it comes to value, what I describe in the book is you have to sort of reset the idea of what value means in sales. And at its most simple form, and the way that sellers should really think about it, value to a buyer means progress, meaning as a result of me interacting with you, 
if you're the seller and I'm the buyer, as a result of me interacting with you, I'm now closer to making a decision than I was before I interacted with you. So if you want to have a meeting with me, if you want to have a call with me, a virtual call or in-person call, or you want to ask me to consume any, you want to consume any of my time and attention, I have to earn a return on that investment of time and attention. And that return is I'm closer to making a decision as a result of interacting with you than I was beforehand. So that's your, that as a seller is your bottom line. This is anytime you prepare to talk with, send an email to the, any, the buyer, anything that I said requires that you, some consumption of their time. They have to receive something in there that enables them to make progress toward making a decision. Otherwise, the call had no value. What was the purpose of it if it didn't do that? So value can come in multiple forms, right? It could be tangible value. It could be a case study. It could be you know, something that you piece of content you give them. It could be something intangible. It could be a question you ask them that enables them to think differently about the problems they're trying to solve and perhaps the outcomes they can achieve. But regardless of the form of value is if they can't make progress, that's, that is it. And that's how you market. So as a seller, you have to ask yourself, or if you're a sales manager and you're going through a, a salesperson's pipeline, is you need to, be able to ask two questions and get the answer, which is, okay, as a result of, well, excuse me, the first question is, what does the value, what does the customer need from us in this next interaction to move closer to making a decision? What do they need from us? You know, as a salesperson, if you're looking at your pipeline, you can't answer that question about every, what you could opportunity in your pipeline. Then, you know, you have to go back and ask better questions, listen sure. more carefully, things I talk about in the book. But this becomes sort of your metric is, what does the buyer need from us? In this next interaction, make progress toward making a decision. And as a result of delivering this value, what steps will they commit to take? How do you view the objection handling process when you get into the close as it relates to the pillars that you teach in the book? Objections are not, you know, the word is problematic. No one objects. Right? Think about a courtroom drama. A lawyer stands up, I object, Your Honor. A buyer never stands up and says, I object. They don't object. I mean, it's really a ridiculous term when you think about it. What they have is they have a question. What they're saying is, I don't understand your pricing. I don't understand this product feature. Or they have some other question. Your job is to look at objections, quote-unquote objections, as questions that need to be answered. You need to find out what the questions are that they're asking. Get to be asking the right questions, essentially. Well, the customer has a question, right? Yeah. They don't, and a lot of times object- it's not even related to the thing that they said was their reason. Perhaps, right. So you just need to sort of double down on your questioning and really sort of surface what that is. But when you think about it as an objection, as we train sellers, then it becomes adversarial. Mm-hmm. Oh no, they're pushing back. Yeah. They object to this. What am I going to do? It's, it's like the me versus you thing again. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not what they're doing. They're just asking you a question. Find out what the question is. Yeah. Answer the question effectively, get to the root of the problem. Yeah. And then re-ask. Yeah. And as I said, it's not an us versus them. We're all on the same side. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers 
Agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you. That work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So Andy, how'd you get into this, man? Well, let's, 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 we, we've built a lot of, I think, value in the initial sales conversation, but mm. now I want to build a little bit of context, go back in time and bring everybody up to speed on, on <laughs> what's brought you to this point. So let's kind of rewind the clock. Sure. 16-year-old Andy Paul, talk to me about like what you were, what you were up to at that point and then you know, progress us. Not, up to nothing sales-related, I can assure you. Actually, that's not entirely true. I think when I was 16, I got my first quote-unquote sales job. I was selling women's shoes at JCPenney. Yeah. 16. Nice. 16. Yes. Uh, holiday fill-in, if you will. So I did that for about six months. That did not inspire me to get into sales. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it didn't even, yeah. I was like a lot of people. I you know, graduated college. I didn't have a plan. What did you get your degree in? History. Okay. And so, so obviously I ended up using that. <laughs> yeah. Well, indirectly, right? I mean, I was in history because I'm you know, very curious type, you know, love reading, love learning. So yeah, I mean, it's, that's coming very helpful in sales, yeah. but yeah, the degree itself, not necessarily, but yeah, I just sort of fell into it. Yeah. yeah. I, I was a few months out of school. I still looking for work to the chagrin of my parents and uh, didn't really have a plan and uh, the money was running out very quickly. So I got energized and yeah, I went back to the college you know, career placement center and everybody that was looking for a job were at the time, the big tech companies of the day. and. Mm. Yeah, got a job. Yeah, it's interesting thing. Back then, no one called it sales. So I went to work for a company called Burroughs at the time, second largest computer company in the world behind IBM. And along with IBM and all the other tech companies that day, that was all, these were marketing management training programs. They couldn't even call mm. them sales back then. They were so, you know, no one would be called a salesperson. This was decades, right. decades ago, which is kind of crazy because that's, you know, I think once you owe up, the fact that you're own up to the fact that you are in sales, it becomes easier. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. So anyway, sold computers, uh, you know, back in the day when computers filled roomfuls of equipment did, filled up. Were you like naturally good or like, did you um, uh, like immediately nope. set yourself out, oh, uh, like uh, out from the pack or, or was it definitely a learned process for you? Definitely a learned process for me. Yeah. Very much of an introvert. And yeah, the idea of going out and making cold calls was uh, <laughs> fear inducing. Because we were doing it in person, you know, I go out and in, into the field and make, you know, drive to a local business park. Uh, at least initially, the first product set that I sold was 
uh, yeah, door to door to businesses. You know, like people selling copiers today was probably the closest thing is 30, 40 cold calls a day. That wasn't, yeah, you know, the most enjoyable part of it. But <laughs> cut your teeth though. We had to cut our teeth. We had to sell a certain amount of this, this one product we had uh, before they'd train us to sell computers. So I, yeah, did that. And then once I started selling computers, had a little different focus. I was selling into the construction industry, had a line of business that I was selling. And yeah, success came relatively quickly, but I think it was really due to it, you know, as I analyzed it, saying, okay, why are these CEOs of these construction companies, oftentimes the, the founders, spending time with me? I was 21, may have just turned 22. I looked 16, uh, as I like to say, hey, why'd they give me any time at all? Mm. And it was because I was asking questions. I was really sincerely interested to learn about their business and about them. And maybe this is part of my you know, history degree <laughs> kicking in because I was you know, always asking questions. And it's, you know, I found they didn't kick me out of their offices. They gave me the time. These, these people really taught me, these customers taught me about business. They taught me how to sell to them. Yeah. Uh, they mentored me in some cases. Was that kind of unconventional inside of your company or did, were these things that they taught you to do as well? Like, did, was that something that you just started doing? <laughs> just something I started doing, but I'm sure yeah. probably other people were doing it as well. Sure, but, sure, sure. Because, you know, every year there's a cadre of new people coming in and with the express intent, the company of hiring hundreds to winnow it down to dozens, right? That, that yeah. stuck with the company. Yeah, I learned pretty quickly that if I was just sort of gave free reign to my curiosity that, and I was, you know, I was trying to do the best I could to learn business. Yeah, I said, knew virtually nothing, but I mean, I was reading the Wall Street Journal every day and, and so on, trying to sort of just, and I was curious. So I knew trying a lot of their language. The world. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think more important is that they just understood that I was sincere about it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Were you kind of digesting any sort of sales trainings, sales materials, cassette tapes, anything like that back then? Yeah, some in my car. I mean, there's this is back when Zig Ziglar world, yeah, Zig Ziglar world, Earl Nightingale, these motivational speakers. Uh, Yeah, some of that in my car, going between calls. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Do you attribute, or or at this point in your career, are there any sort of sales trainers or any any people like that 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 you always are looking to for, like that you're following and being like, oh, that's really great. I can implement that, or we can take something from that. Well, I mean, there's lots of people. I mean, I. As you know, I have my own podcast and we've done thousand plus episodes. And I, as I tell people, you know, one of the great benefits of doing a podcast is, is you get to talk to a lot of really smart people. And, so and every fun. time I talk to somebody, I learn something new. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if there's these days, there's one specifically, but yeah, I just keep an open mind and, and have try have great conversations with people when they come on my show. And yeah, I have, I'm sure over the last seven years, we've picked up a lot of things that uh, brand new to me. You briefly mentioned earlier that you are an introvert. Mm. How have you found, with all the people that you've worked with, the people that you've sold with, you know, from management to coworkers, employees, sure. everything in between, have you found that introverted sellers versus extroverted sellers, if there's any sort of correlation between a certain personality type and uh, production, short-term or long-term? Well, I mean... Not in the moment. No. I mean, in, in retrospect, I mean, you look at the data and they say, hey, maybe introverts have some an edge because they tend to be more analytical, perhaps, curious, versus you know, emotional, perhaps a little bit more curious. Yeah. I don't know if that's... I've seen the research. Okay. Sure. I guess that that's true to some degree. But I've seen people of all stripes succeed. I've seen you know, people that are very gregarious. I wouldn't necessarily call them extroverts, but 
sometimes if somebody's too extroverted, it comes across as false, but yeah, but yeah, I've had some friends. I always sort of envied early in my career because they just got that just look so, look, yeah, yeah, it just seemed so easy for them. Right. Sure. And it was a little more difficult for me, but on the other hand, I've also worked with people that I uh, give the story of one client I had 10 plus years ago that, that I brought somebody from their engineering department into sales because they're selling a technical product. And this gentleman was pathologically shy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the customers loved him because mm. he knew exactly what they were going through. He knew their problems. You know, he had helped develop the product. He had mm. worked in a similar environment. He was mostly doing phone. We did eventually get him out in the field, start visiting customers from time to time. And he yeah. did great. But hey, after working with him for four years, we could still sit in the, <laughs> the lunchroom and he could not bring himself to say hi to me. But he was fantastic. So you know, there's, it's hard to sort of typecast. You know, I think everybody can bring out their own strengths in their own sure. unique way and find a way to succeed at sales. If you're just getting started, how heavily do you rely on allowing your personality to shine through versus sticking to the script? being a student of the training. And even though it might feel unnatural to you when you're first getting started because somebody else wrote it, is there, <laughs> is there a typical like advice that you give to people when they're like really first getting started and trying to cut their teeth? Yeah. I mean, first of all, be open to influences, right? Because what do you know when you're just getting started? Yeah. But at your core is, yeah, you have to, you have to work in a way that aligns with who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And I made that determination very early in my career. And I think it was you know, part of the reason I've been able to have the success I've had is, is that I was true to myself. Mm. Sometimes to the frustration of, of managers and bosses. Yeah. But that's the decision you all have to make is, is to say, look, I, you can try to be someone else, but your buyers aren't fooled. They, they sense that. Yeah. You know, they can't see the real you if the fake you is standing in the way. And the real you has has value. So at the end of the day, you're always better off. It's not that you're not, again, not going to be open to influences that will affect and might change a little, you know, how you operate somewhat. Yeah. Have an open mind, but also know yourself. And so, yeah, I write about this early in the book. I had my first sales training class for this big company I was working for. <laughs> I find myself very early in the first two-week sales training program I went to, which after I'd only been on the job about two weeks, they send you away to a training class. I remember looking at these sales training videos and going, what human being acts this way? <laughs> <laughs> I totally remember that, man. That's so funny. You say and that. I can't do this. I, no, yeah. I can't. I won't <clears throat> do this. And I need to find a way that works for me. Otherwise, I'll have a really short career. That's so funny. I, I did about, uh, started my career in door-to-door -door sales. We did, I probably did like five, six years of door-to-door, -door, like mm -hmm. sales training, management, recruiting. Yep. And the first ever door-to-door uh, -door gig that I got we showed up to the corporate headquarters and it was like that. And, and I wasn't obviously an experienced sales rep at the time, but I just remember reading the script and being like, who did, <laughs> did people speak this way? Like who yeah, wrote right. this? Like it, and turns out I, I get back to kind of like my field manager, you know, and, and he was like, Oh yeah, we never, we don't use any of that. You would like, you just relearn, learn it this way, basically. And it turns out some person in a corporate office, like scripted that script, never knocked on a door and ever tested it out. And so we ended up like, we never even used it once. We always used like whatever our field manager told us because that was actually the people talking to customers, go figure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's always a challenge because there's always a script, right? There's always a playbook. There's always a claim that, hey, this works, you know, 
greater degree than something else. Sure. I said, you got to be open to influences, but most of all, you have to find out what works for you. Yeah. Because the sad truth is when you look at industry research about you know, percentage of sales reps are hitting quota, which is awfully low. And you look at the trend and win rates, which are low and getting lower. The sad truth is that most customers make the decision to purchase something in spite of the salesperson, not because of the salesperson. Mm. And because they have a need and the need needs, you know, they need to address this need. Yeah. What a sad place to be in. You want to make sure you're the reason you as the individual, you make sure you're the reason the buyer makes the decision to purchase from you. Mm. And to the degree you can do that, which is how, what I lay out in my book, the more success you'll have. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? To, you have so many interactions with salespeople anymore. No matter where, even just walking through the mall, there's 38 people at a kiosk that are trying to get you to sniff their perfume or try their lotion or whatever. And it's pretty remarkable how quickly you can tell if somebody has been able, if somebody's successful or not successful, because there's just so few people. There's so few people that seemingly adopt the, the style that you are talking about in your book that is actually serving the need of the customers. Mm -hmm. And I I like that stat that you said like that. It is a mind-blowing stat, but it doesn't really surprise me because there's so many just bad salespeople and, and they ruin the reputation of a lot of salespeople because they're just so glaringly not good at it. And they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, try to shove things down your throat that they don't even know if this is something that you want or need. You know, it's just, it's like, who told you that this was going to work? Like, I, I don't care yeah. about the moon roof. I want the, you know what I mean? Well, I think that's really important to make clear because unfortunately, I think it gets uh, the line, you know, sometimes people don't understand. Is, you know, we talk about a bad salesperson. It's not a bad person. It's just, they've been trained and managed in the wrong way. Incorrectly. Yep. yep yeah. It's exactly. like, you know, bad parenting to some degree. Right. And yeah. incentivizing wrong behavior. Yeah. And managers, again, just like selling out is, is you know, putting your own interest ahead of those of the buyer. Managers do that all the time because all they're concerned about the number and not about how do I make these people, these individuals that work for me, how do I help them become the best version of themselves? Mm. Instead, I'm putting my need to hit my number first. So I don't devote the time to coaching and development of these people that I need. So, you know, it works on multiple levels. So the managers are selling out. And when your managers sell out, that's hard for salespeople to develop, I said, into this best possible version of themselves. So the salespeople are taking that and turning it around and portraying that on the customer as well. Where where that's because behavior they see modeled. Yeah, sure, sure. They're just preaching KPIs and yelling at you for not hitting your numbers, and then the customer just turns around and preaches features and barks out benefits and doesn't worry about the needs of the customer. And it's needs the customer, and so it's it flows downhill. And so. If that's the case, which it is, unfortunately, is you as the individual have to take responsibility for your own success. Now, that's mm-hmm. the subtitle of my book is a guide to success on your own terms, because at the end of the day, you have to make the choice about how you want to sell. Yeah. And you may have to push back. I did it throughout my career. Yeah. It's, if there were instances I thought, no, just not going to do that. I tell my boss, look, you can hold my feet to the fire. You can hold me accountable for hitting your num- the number. But I'm going to do this differently, mm. right? I'm going to experiment to come up with a better way to do this that aligns with what I think is, is the best way. You never close yourself off to influence, as I said before. You keep sure. reading, you listen to podcasts, you watch videos, you know, have these other sources. But then, right. yeah, weed through it. What, what do you think is going to work best for you? Then experiment. 
Try new things. Yeah. Uh, even if it's coloring outside the lines a little bit, do it. Because again, no one cares about your success as much as you do. What advice would you give to somebody who's listening that's like, yeah, but I don't like selling or yeah, but I'm not a salesperson. Well, it's because you don't understand what selling is. Yeah. yeah. I ran sales for a number of startups and, and would grow teams and selling often is very technical products. And so I'd recruit people, as I said before, from engineering to come into sales. And the first response of the engineers was always, well, I can't do that. I said, what do you mean? Well, I, I can't convince somebody to buy something they don't need. I said, great, because that's not what we do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, we're in the job solving problems. Yeah. Oh, I said, as an engineer, isn't that what you do every day is solve problems? Yeah, great. That's all we're doing for customers. Well, I can do that. Yep, you can. And many of them became fantastic salespeople. Yeah. So as I said before, our job as a seller is just is to listen to understand what's the most important things to the buyer, right? And then help them get that. If we can do that, that's a whole that's a different way of looking at the world, and that's the way you need to look at it. Figure out the problem and solve the problem. Well, figure out what's most important because I think it's the thing that sellers are default to. Oh, I uncovered the obvious problem. Oh, sure, okay, we can do that. That's in our playbook. Ask these questions. I know this this about the buyer. Yeah, but what do you really understand about the buyer? Hmm. You know, you know this, but why is this important to the buyer? And you really have to go deeper, as I talk about in the book, because you find out what's really most important to them. Because hmm. believe me, every opportunity I've worked in my career, there's usually just one thing that's hmm. most important to the buyer. And if you can understand what that one thing is, your odds of winning the deal go up substantially. So if you're talking to somebody for half hour, what percentage of your time would be based in asking questions versus you talking? I don't think there's an ideal percentage. I mean, everybody talks about, you know, talk, listen, balance. But for me, yeah, I want them talking as much as possible because I, I can't learn anything if I'm talking. So in the book, I, I run through six different types of questions that you can use uh, in the chapter on curiosity. And what you want to do is ask the customer questions that give them a reason to stop and think, mm. right? If you're just asking the same set of questions you ask every customer, Believe me, that's the same set of questions the buyers heard from every seller. Mm. And if you're asking rote questions, you're going to get rote answers. Yeah. I mean, the buyer's under no obligation to <laughs> spill the beans, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So our job, we talk about the four pillars, connection, curiosity, understanding, generosity. Job and connection is to build that human connection and build the level of trust with the buyer that enables them to open up, right? Did That we have to earn the right to do what I call stick our nose into their business. Because that's ultimately what we want to do as a seller. I want to mm. stick my nose into your business to really make sure I really understand how I can help you the best. Well, if I don't connect at that human level, if I don't build that level of trust, I'm never going to be able to get those answers. And unfortunately, too many sellers just sort of said, do the superficial questioning and never get to the point where they earn that, that right to go deeper. Mm. Sell without selling out. Guys, that if there's, I mean, I'm just such a big believer in learning how to sell. Uh, is if you're a founder, if you're an entrepreneur, which most mm-hmm. of us listening to this are, and sales is oxygen for your business. And if 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 you're not the one that's going to make sure there's money in the bank account, you better hire somebody that's really good that's going to make sure there's money in the bank account. <laughs> well, so. you need to you need to go as a founder. You need to go sell first. And this yes. is just yeah, tell us to founders all the time. Yeah, you need I to learn. You totally need to learn agree. how to sell yeah. your product and service because. Yeah, you know, if you just hire somebody to do it, you're always going to be this outsider thinking, you know, oh, they're not doing it the right way. Why aren't they doing it? It's like, right. 
I just need to hire a different person. I need to hire a new person. Yeah, yeah. Go out and experience yourself. Get your fingers dirty. Find out because no one's going better than you. If you're the founder and you can't be the best salesperson for your product and service, because trust me, every tech startup I worked at, the founder was far and away the best salesperson. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, especially in the tech world, everybody's always preaching product market fit, and it's like, well, how do you go? How do you how do you know you found it, or how do you find it if you if you aren't the person that's out there talking to the people that are going to potentially take a credit card out of their wallet and hand it to you. You need that direct you need to what that is. feedback. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then once you've done that a number of times, then yeah, find the right person who can, can start taking your place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, too many founders do it too soon. Andy, this has been a lot of fun, man. I, I, I love, love talking sales. Having... Yeah. Love, love talking sales. Love ha- having somebody on that's a sales expert. I, Maybe in the past would have called myself that. I've been a founder and podcaster for too many years now. I've not been in in the selling seat as much as I as I used to be. But obviously, I'm I'm still the lead salesperson in my own uh, my own company. That's right. Um, I love love chatting. You're selling every day. Sell without selling out. If you're listening, go pick up a copy of this book. Chances are you're like we all need to be selling better, and we all can be selling better. Even if you're only uh, the reason I didn't want to ask you about those questions, Andy, is because I want people to go pick up a book a copy of the book and read about those questions. Cause like, this is the part of selling that a lot of people don't talk about. And it's probably the most important part of the entire sales process is asking the right questions and getting answers to those questions. You can properly formulate and prescribe a solution to take care of the problem. But if you don't understand what that is, how can you give the proper prescription? So exactly. Go learn those six questions, pick up a copy of sell without selling out. I promise you, you will not regret it. Andy, thanks for coming on the show, man. Like I said, this is a lot of fun. I think I went a little bit over time there, so I apologize. But uh, oh, no. this... like, like, like talking sales, so it just kept coming out. Well, me too. I mean, it's it's uh, when people always tell me, "Well, this could be a short conversation." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't think so." Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thanks, Travis. Perfect. Thanks for coming on, man. This is a lot of fun. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.